0: Sometimes in life, you find yourself on the right side of the line. I find it strange that we as men are so comfortable with the fact that we have nipples. Are you in a prison rec room? That's why I call my baby Maxwell House. If you drink blood every day, can you donate more often? (laughs)
1: Live from Texas, this is
0: the Dry Line Farmer Podcast. Landon, I get so excited when I hear intro music.
1: Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. Hear that? It's Brent and Landon, and this is the Dryline Farmer Podcast.
0: Now, I bet our guest has never, in his wildest dreams, thought he was going to be on a Dryline Farmer podcast in any any stretch of his imagination. But you know, we like to we like to bring people inspiration into their lives, don't you think, Landon? We try, <laughs> we try. But we have got a big guest this week. We are all three; it's just red and black all over the place. We've got the one and only. After last year, he kind of got sent to detention, so we, he is now the bad boy of the Big 12. He is a mouthpiece of trouble, but you know him as the voice of Texas Tech Raider football, Brian Jensen. Brian, it is great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, You do and you do not want to know my wildest dreams.
0: <laughs> well, it was, it was rhetorical. Trust me. We don't want to know anybody's oh, wildest good. dreams, so... um but no everybody if you are a Texas Tech fan or even probably if you hate Texas Tech fans you know who Brian Jensen is because him along with John Harris are the voice of Texas Tech Red Raider football. So Brian we are excited to have you on here and uh, we'll just get right into it. Brian you are a uh, I, I take it I'll just let you start it off here you're a Texas Tech alum I, I assume. That's
2: correct. I graduated um back in <laughs>
0: Wow. You don't have to give your social security number or anything. (laughs)
2: 1981.
0: Oh, that's when I was born. Uh, That's cool. (laughs) All right,
2: cool. Good for you. I graduated graduated and then uh, moved into broadcast television. Well, actually, I was doing broadcast television while I was in Lubbock in school. While I was a junior in college, I was working at Channel 11 in Lubbock as a sports uh, weekend anchor, working for Bob Howell. Um, who did the weekday, and then I left there and went to Blomont, Texas, Beaumont, Texas. Um, <laughs> I spent five and a half, felt like 12 years there, and um, uh, then moved into the Dallas market and have been here ever since.
0: So I've heard Southeast Texas, it's like a hot soup that you live in. Is that correct? It's just...
2: Biggest mosquitoes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um this is a true story. I was playing golf one time. Bayou Din was the name of the golf course and I was playing um hit the ball as I typically do into the woods and drove my cart which was white into the woods <laughs> to find my golf ball. I get out of the cart, I'm looking for the ball, I find it. I look back to go get my club and now my golf cart is black. Wow. It is completely covered with a swarm of mosquitoes and so I ran at, not very fast. Cause, um, <laughs> uh, so I uh, we feel your pain, the cart. Yeah. yeah. I jumped in the cart, hit the accelerator, and blew as many mosquitoes off as I possibly could before I went back to hit the ball. It was it was unbelievable.
0: You probably heard screams. You you at eight miles an hour.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So our, our course in Hertford, it's got the GPS, and if you get too close to the green, it shuts you down. You got to put it in reverse and get back on the cart. So we would have probably been carried off at that point. So, yeah.
2: Well, they ought to. They ought to have a mosquito shutdown. So as soon as you get close to the mosquito <laughs> swarm, it should yeah. shut you down. But may, maybe they have it now. I don't know.
0: It's like those big flocks of birds. They all turn at the exact same time. That's what it looks like. The mosquitoes are yeah. so, so god awful yeah. huge. So uh, yeah. So you were down there in Beaumont. That's a uh, yeah. I still have yet to visit that great paradise of uh, of Texas. So you okay. were. That was now. That now you went from there. What to DFW at that point?
2: Yeah. Did. Yeah, I
0: went to the Channel
2: Eight, WFAA, um, ABC affiliate in Dallas for 10 years, and then spent a couple of years at uh, NBC affiliate Channel Five in Fort. Well, in between Dallas and Fort Worth, basically, and then uh, got the gig at Tech just about the same time I was being um, told that my days at Channel Five were. Um, we're ending. Yeah. So I decided to change careers outside of broadcasting um,
0: other than the tech opportunity. Sure. Now this says you are, is this Cushman in Wakefield? Is that correct? Oh no, I left there. That's old um, news. Right, okay. right
2: before, yeah, you got old news there. Where'd you okay. get that from?
0: Well, I'm on your LinkedIn page. I mean, I didn't know if anybody still used it. That's No, <laughs> my LinkedIn page, come on, you gotta look up a, a little higher. Okay. Activity be, about be, let's see. on parole North for Dallas ten years. Bank and oh. trust no, I see that there. Yeah. Okay. Skip that part. Okay. That's where I am now. North uh, Bank. Come on, Brad, update, update to is MySpace. Okay. Go. Well, he's still got hair in this picture, so I should have known by then. But uh, <laughs> no, that's not true either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I was must looking have taken for taking a snapshot, and you're like one of those persons that that stops me in the street, and they still do this to this day. I've been out of television now for twenty two years. And I still get stopped on occasion. They go, man, I really loved your television stuff. I said, great. I said, yeah, I watched you the other night and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What? You watched me the other night? you have a VHS machine or something? <laughs> because that's about the only thing you could have recorded back then.
0: So. Yeah. So since we're talking about everybody's personal appearance, this, I've always wondered, I've always been shocked by this. Is there a broadcaster of any sort that you were absolutely shocked at what they looked like versus what their voice sounded like on the radio.
2: Oh, all the time.
0: All the time. All the time. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I, and I, I would venture to guess that people that meet me for the first time after hearing my, my voice probably go, okay, wait, that's coming out of your body? <laughs> so the, the one probably more than any is a, is a guy named Doc, and he was the, I, I'm pretty sure he's done, but he was the voice of... Um, all of the promos at WFAA Channel 8 in Dallas. He had one of the lowest voices I've ever heard in my life. Fantastic voice, fantastic promos, sounded like a movie trailer. And one of the skinniest, um, just, you know, kind of a average looking dude. I thought he would be this husky, you know, mm-hmm. really, really kind of a big beard. You know that kind of guy? <laughs>
0: no, not at all. Like not a walking baritone, yeah. That's not what he looked yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. So not at all. My uh to to sneak in the farming here, I guess kind of my one of my nieces is a FFA district president and they were at the state FFA convention and she got into a video with Mike Rowe and that was a uh, that was pretty exciting. That was pretty neat to hear uh that guy's voice on one of her uh Facebook videos. And he That's he's cool. a guy that would you would think looks the way he sounds, but you know. Well, you see him though. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's true. He he's not a radio guy, stuff, so. right? Like you. I mean, now
2: see, I'm and people that are listening don't don't get the opportunity to know that we're actually seeing each other on Zoom,
0: and your voice doesn't fit your. Oh your no! Look. Yeah, I mean, you would think serial killer if you saw me, but the voice <laughs> is more you know harmless farmer. So
2: <laughs> I think he's surprised. You got facial hair, Brent. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I gotta
2: hide something. Now, your voice looks, sounds, and looks exactly like you. By the way, <laughs> <Nice.
1: laughs> that—that's because
0: y'all look alike. That's the, thats why he says
1: that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can yeah. since our own. <laughs> oh man! Exactly. So I'm Brian, far behind Brian, were you always into the uh, broadcasting ever since your childhood, or was that something you were always fascinated with?
2: So when I was growing up, I watched Vern Lundquist on Channel Eight here in Dallas, and um, he always intrigued me that. First of all, I thought he was really cool. Um, back in that day, those those that are listening in the Panhandle that may have hopefully watched Channel 8, because I understand it was fed into the area at times. Um, maybe they saw Vern Lundquist when he was doing television at Channel 8 back then. He had uh, plaid jackets, and uh, he did a show called Bowling for Dollars, and. But I'm telling you, on the sports, when he did the sports on television, it was all ad lib. I've had the opportunity to get to know him pretty well. And uh, he was my mentor. And he told me one day, he goes, I've never written, I don't write scripts. I've never written a script. Everything I do is ad lib. And I go, This, you are, you are the guy I want to be. I want to, I want to do what you do on a nightly basis. So when I, started to do nightly television um, I crafted my my style as best as I could around him and tried to not script everything so many so many guys on television today they script everything they read the teleprompter you know they, they have to make sure they're perfect. It shouldn't be that way you need to be yourself and Vern taught me that and then uh, had the opportunity to meet him many times uh, during the Cotton Bowl days when I was at Channel 8 and, you know, the Cotton Bowl here in Dallas, sure. I meet him. And then when he was in the SEC, we we fortunately had a couple of games that he was broadcasting and uh, just a fantastic, fantastic human
0: and great mentor. So that's, you already answered basically my qu- the next question is a broadcaster that inspired you, but it sounds like it might have been Vern Lundquist, so. Oh, there's no doubt. No, he was
2: number one on the list. And I had the opportunity. I did a podcast last year called uh, uh, Broadcast Booth shocking. And um, so he was one of the guys that and it was a video podcast. You can still get it. I I haven't shut it down yet, but I had the had the fantastic opportunity to interview him. We spoke for almost an hour and he was so gracious and told some fan, just unbelievable stories about you know the masters and the sec and just all the great things that he's done in his career it was it was wonderful but i got to tell you the things that that just you know struck me time and time again during the during the interview was he kept coming back to you know i remember when you and he kept throwing stuff back at me and i'm like dude you are a hall of famer okay i'm i'm nobody and the way he treats you whether you're somebody or nobody doesn't really matter and that to me is Usually respectful.
0: So I'm looking at this. Looks like you've had Brad Sham, Vern Lundquist, Cooper Stein, yeah. all these guys. Yeah. You've talked uh, to yeah. some. You've talked to some names, to yeah. say the yeah. least. John
2: Ireland, the uh, play-by-play for the um, for the Lakers when uh, Kobe had his final game. Okay, that was a very interesting interview. He he was, um, you know, obviously very close to the Kobe situation, and still to this day, it's tough to talk about.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's. A novel to be written about that all of that so it's a uh, big big time stuff so is football what all else have you broadcast over your years just mainly football
2: oh i've done football i used to do tech basketball on television when night was there um so i did basketball prior to that as well uh, as well with smu um i did Minor league baseball when I was in Beaumont, or Beaumont. <laughs> and, um, and That's almost Beaumont like it's a, you
0: actually mean it. Is, is how
2: you say my it. Beaumont friends are going to just they're going to get all over me. You know, I'm sure you have a huge following in Beaumont. You so. have
0: no idea. Yeah. We we can't we can't yeah. walk down the street in Beaumont.
2: <laughs> I understand? It, it. Well, you wouldn't want to. But what what team uh, is Beaumont? The Golden Gators. Gators, and they were the affiliate of the of San Diego Padres. And, the team that I cut when I did the play-by-play there, the team was uh, uh, Jimmy Jones at pitch at pitcher. He ended up with the uh, Yankees. Um, Mark Parent was the catcher. He ended up in the big leagues. Ozzie Guillen oh, wow. was the uh, shortstop. He was I, a rookie of the year for, it, for the White Sox. So, so, everybody yeah. knows where he went. Um, Joey Cora was the second baseman. Oh, everybody knows oh, where oh. he went. Uh, it was an incredible team. They won the Texas League. And then, obviously, several of those players went on to be um, huge impacts in the major leagues. It was fantastic. That was the great part. I did Lamar basketball while I was there as well. And they had Pat. Um, uh, uh, anyway, um, they had a couple of, of well-known coaches there. And it was a lot of fun. Really got me going. I did Lamar football. I did high school state ba- uh, state football championship. I did the, um, um, the, the Beaumont team that won. Uh, the state championship beat LD Bell in the state title game. They were the this was a team that had broken off from um, another school. It was their first year in five A. They lost their first four games and everybody thought, oh my God, this is gonna be zero you know, an O and whatever they ended up playing season. They won the rest. they won all their district games. They won district. They wrapped right through the the playoffs and then got to the final game, beat LD Bell, and you know who there's, who the MVP of that game was? No, Jerry, Ball. Jerry Ball. Jerry Ball. Jerry Ball. Who? Uh, oh, the defensive
0: lineman for defensive the Lions. Defensive
2: lineman played for SMU and then uh, went on to the Detroit Lions, and yeah, a pretty good NFL
0: career. Yeah. So yeah. we we can just have a Jeopardy episode with you and Landon in sports stats because <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lost when it gets to the really deep woods of it. So yeah. So uh, you're yeah, not as old. How old are you? I'm 41. Yeah, you're you're a chicken. (laughs) Landon's about to be 40.
2: Yeah, I'm going to turn 40. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Well, y'all are both spring chickens. Sorry about that, Landon. I thought maybe you were just a little older because maybe.
0: No. (laughs) So, you know, you were talking about when Bob Knight was there. That was, we, I started tech in 99, and that was the first year of the, the USA, the Spirit Arena. And then the first game we played in that was Indiana against Bob Knight. The following yeah. year, the first game, Bob Knight was the coach was there. And the games were pretty different. But you're talking about people and the way they look, TV did Bob Knight no justice. I had no yeah. idea what a giant that man is. Just yep. an intimidating. I mean, basketball players you would think would be intimidating. This man was an intimidating factor just as he walked onto the court.
2: And well, I can imagine he was, that was even more intimi- he, he was even more intimidating sitting in the uh, sitting in the locker room before the game. Oh, I can hmm. imagine.
0: I actually got Bob Knight one time to turn around at me and told me to pipe down. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. Did he say it that way? <laughs> no, he, I think he said "shut the f up." So <laughs> yeah, I can, I, 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 pipe down is not probably in the vocabulary. No, but. no, no. Well, for I uh, we have some church friends in Beaumont that I didn't want to offend, so I t- tried I to censor it a little bit. So. Is um football your favorite favorite sport to broadcast? Absolutely. Without yeah. a doubt. Har- um love it. The hardest, easiest sport to
2: broadcast? Well, the easiest sport to broadcast in my opinion is baseball. Um I did, like I said, the the Golden Gator baseball um uh, seasons for I don't know, gosh, might have been the entire five and a half, felt like twelve years I was there. But um <laughs> They, they actually started they, they started while I was there so it might have been just a little bit little bit less than that but football has always been my, my favorite to, to broadcast. Um, I will say that that following um, when I started when I started at tech and Mike Leach, I started with Mike Leach and when Mike Leach and his offense came out on the field that first season, it was not like any football I had ever broadcast before And so there was a huge uh, adjustment to the speed of the game, um, the 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 just amount of of throwing the football, and it was just you never had a break. Yeah. Once once the offense went out there, well, and defense too, because they couldn't stop anybody. Once the <laughs> offense went out there and and started to the play, there there was no break. And John, same thing. He had a huge adjustment too, and I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. Um, so figuring out. In that first season, when do I need to stop talking (laughs) so that he can have something to say? Because they come right back to the line of scrimmage and they're ready to play again. They didn't huddle. They're ready to play again. And we're like, you know, and it it took
0: a little while. Did it? it, I guess it it was a whole new challenge. It was a whole new challenge for you to do that spread off or that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it was a whole new challenge, something I'd never seen before. Uh, A lot of us hadn't. I think most of the fans hadn't seen it before either. Um, but it was, you know, fantastic and very exciting. And from a broadcaster's perspective, I've told people this many times. Um, I cannot tell you those 10 years were so exciting and fun. And it did carry over. I'm not saying that it stopped when Mike Leach left, it did not. Yeah. Uh, the excitement of being able to broadcast a game is still there for me and has been every single season since. I'm just saying that it wasn't near the passion level that it became the second that 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 first kickoff with Leach's teams in 2000, it was suddenly a different level. It was fantastic. It was great. So you'd almost have to talk as fast as the micro machines guy to analyze every play. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I think what we learned is you don't analyze every play It's impossible. When you when you're going that speed to analyze every Mm -hmm. play, some of them you just have to go. Oh, well, that was a great play. Okay, now they're back to the line of scrimmage. Here we go yeah. again. You know, you just you didn't have time.
0: So mm-hmm. you know, and obviously, there's still I don't know how many, how, what's the percentage of people that still haven't gotten over the whole blow up when he left. But you know, I mean, at, at some point you got to get over it, and they try to they try to keep that offense in for however long. And it, it you know, it every time a coach got hired, it to in my opinion, it. They never had a chance, at least with the fan base. It may be except for Cliff, just for the simple fact he was an alum. and He was under Mike Leach. But, you know, it seems like with Joey Maguire, there seems to be a, I don't know, you might tell us what you think, if there's a kind of a newfound energy coming with this new coach.
2: Oh, well, there's no doubt. Yeah. The excitement level is, is off the chart at the moment. It has a lot to do with not only his personality and the way he presents himself and you know, the way he uh, connects with the team already and the way he's very public about it, which is Mm -hmm. great. And, uh, you know, let's hope it it continues that way. But also because he is obviously able to connect with the high school kids that are coming, um, you know, into collegiate programs, wherever they might be, and he's connected with enough of them to really have the excitement level on the recruiting base right now with Tech. At, a, at what I think is an all-time high. And when, when you can do that before you ever put a, put a team on the field, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So if the, if the, guy, if the guy is even half, half his grain of salt on once they get on the field that he's proven to be in the offseason, there's no reason not to be excited and thinking that there are going to be some very positive days ahead for Tech football independent of what happens with conferences and all the Uh things that are going on outside of
0: actually playing on the field. So I'm looking here at ESPN. They have us at a 16 on the recruitment rankings and still top 20, still top 20. They had us at 13, I guess. (laughs) I don't know when that was. We have the top two ESPN 300 commits is just kind of I'm railing off here off this website here and They've got Jake Strong as for our quarterback as a, uh, a top offensive commit, obviously. He's a four-star recruit. So what what kind of offense are we going to expect to see just as far as how – what kind of offense does Joey McGuire run?
2: Well, he doesn't run the offense. Gitley does. And it's going to be really interesting to see the offense that is put out on the field because your expectation is, after seeing what he's done with the the schools that he's been with prior to coming to Tech and with the quarterbacks that he's had there, obviously – and the systems that he's run, you know, you're going to see a lot of what we saw. I think um, back more into the Leach days, but with a little of his twist in it. I think this is the cool thing. So I don't know how many people really sit down and realize, and maybe even look at the the oval, o- overarching effect that um, that Mike Leach and his offensive coaches have had throughout college football, since they started this air raid program. It has, I mean, it has, it has hit so many different levels of college football. And now you're seeing an evolution, which I think is really exciting, where all of these guys have now done other things too, right? So they've, they've learned other pieces of offenses. They bring those into the fold. And now you've got the, a lot of the same formations you're going to see a lot of the same movement you're going to see, but a lot of different uh, plays out of those movements. So I think it's going to be really exciting to see what what Kitley does, um, obviously, with the talent base he has. I think he's a very intelligent guy and a guy that knows that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to bring my program and my expectations of what we're going to run. But I'm going to make sure that the players that I have and the talent that I have fits what I want to do. On that particular day, meaning some coaches try to pigeonhole what they do, no matter what your players fit into, right? So let's say you have a an air raid offense, but you got a a, 300, a 310 hundred and ten pound running back that likes to run it right up the middle. Okay, well you can't pigeonhole that guy into an air raid offense. It isn't going to work. But some coaches, they're just their mindset is, look, my system's going to work. Period. No. You go get the players that fit your system. But in the meantime, you take the players that you have and make sure that you work some plays in some situations and some scenarios so that those players can also be successful in your system. And I think that's what you're going to see out of Kitley in the first year, certainly. And then you'll see him mold his system with the players that they bring in from a recruiting base.
0: So would you say this... I don't know if you would call Leach the pioneer. Would you? Would you call him the pioneer of this whole air raid offense, or was well, how Mummy
2: was, but uh, and I think having talked to Leach a thousand times, uh-huh. he'll he'll tell you Mummy was. I mean, Mummy was the um, the the guy that really drew drew the the basis of it. But what 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 Leach brought to it was he had the mentality of of uh, uh, basketball on grass. That was his, you know, his thing was let's spread them out as wide as possible. Let's make sure that we get them in open spaces and that our quarterback knows, you know, where to look to find those open spaces and get him the ball as quickly as possible. That was, that was pretty much the, the basis of, of what he brought to the table. And then he recruited guys, as you well know, the West Welkers, the Danny Amendola, who just retired, right? Mm-hmm. NFL, by the way, unfortunately. Um, You know, those guys that that weren't probably going to play at a high level somewhere else. But, man, he knew how they could fit in his system. Mm -hmm. And so he brought them in and he put them into that system. And it was, you know, obviously wildly successful. So and he's he's done it everywhere else he's gone to to different levels. Um, You know, you you, you can bash Mike for some things all you want. But Mm -hmm. the reality is he's been ultimately pretty successful everywhere he's gone. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever seen another coach go for it on fourth as much as Mike Leach? <laughs> Actually, there is another one. I'm trying to think what school he was with. Um, I remember seeing that he he didn't he didn't punt. Mm-hmm. He, he like went for it like almost every single time on, on fourth down. It was a, I saw an ESPN story about the guy.
0: Wasn't that, wasn't that a high school coach and like? Oh, California or something? Or? Well, there was
2: that too, but I think there was, there was a college dude that that, that tried okay. to do that that okay. same thing. I don't know how successful he was, but yeah, you know, the answer to your question is, I mean, obviously he he did that quite a bit. He obviously did that one that was very costly against Houston mm-hmm. um, down there in their in their uh, in their stadium. Um, but you know, for the most part, he, he he just added a little more excitement to the game, and you know,
0: you know why not? You know the way you describe it, it's almost like when Leach came along, it's like the American Revolution where we're fighting the English, they're rocking in straight lines and we're doing guerrilla warfare. And yeah, I was going to ask you earlier, is, is, his, is that offense underappreciated just how unique and I don't know if it's a complex or is it actual common sense where you don't stack everybody in together and just have this old eight uh, 1776 English army trying to march down the field when you don't have the equipment to do it.
2: Yeah. Sonny Cumbie, when he was in the booth with us, um, uh, you know, he, to to answer your question. Yes. Is the answer to your question. I mean, he, uh-huh. he very much was, was completely different style going against the, the, the prototypical, especially in the big 12 when he first stepped in there. But I will say that Sonny told us, he said, um, uh, complicated no it's it, it was not it, okay. was, it was overly simplified in fact um, if you watch their practices they they just did the same thing over and over and over and over and over again but they became so good at it and so refined with it in fact there was the one the one drill that they did that um, I, I think still to this day that uh, I don't know who else does it I'm assuming other coaches do it but the fade into the end zone corner of the end zone where at the end of practice they would take a trash can and they'd stick it over in the back of the back corner of the end zone and they'd have the quarterback lob the throw into that trash can and it was just over and over and over and over hit that trash can. Well, when you got to the game, you knew if they were, you know, down on the four or five yard line, they were throwing that fade and the quarterback was just throwing it to the trash can. He wasn't throwing it to the receiver, he was throwing it to the trash can and it was the receiver's responsibility to be that trash can. Yeah. And so it's those kind of things that he brought to the table that, you know, were a little bit different. And I think uh, some of them have stuck. Some of them haven't. But it it was an evolution, I think, at that time.
0: Okay, so that lends to the question, how many quarterbacks out of all the quarterbacks in the country can run that offense? What, 5% of the quarterbacks in the country can run it?
2: I I think more than that now because of the seven on seven stuff that's, you know, that's prevalent throughout the country now. Um, The seven on seven, that really changed that changed everything in high school football, in my opinion, because it it went from um, your typical football to your skill set football. And now all the skill players are the ones that are working out for, you know, basically 12 months out of the year together. And they're getting they're learning those kinds of things. And as you can see throughout all of college football now, there's a lot more. Now I don't have the I don't have the stat for this. I, if I knew you were going to ask this question, I would have gotten it. But um, I, I'm I'm thinking that you're seeing a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more passing just in general throughout mm-hmm. football if you're not watching Army, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and and so a lot of that is because these quarterbacks come out very skilled out of the high school now. They're very skilled at being able to throw the the quick release, mm-hmm. which you have to have in that offense. Um, they're very skilled at seeing. Uh, they're, they're at reading their first three or four. Well, two or three. Um, what they have to run through on their on their sets. Um, they're very good at that. So, I think you're seeing because of that, that. There are a lot of quarterbacks that could handle that kind of an offense, and because of that look, he's not. Well, and we need to get off Mike Leach, but. Oh, he's yeah. not he's not sign, he's not signing five star quarterbacks. Not that he cares about stars, as he'll tell you every single right. time you interview him. But um, he's not he's not signing those guys. He's still signing the the average quarterback. That uh, you know, you of course, had Graham Harrell, who was certainly not average. But mm-hmm. most of the quarterbacks that he had came in were average quarterbacks. Um, that you know, he simply knew they could at least throw the 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 quick release, and he, they could read a defense, and he was going to teach them. How to do everything else.
0: Now, Brian, you, you mentioned Graham Harrell. Tell me if you happen to remember this call.
2: So, Harrell in the shotgun from the 28 to throw goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh my God. He breaks. Oh, oh, my God. oh he's the oh, Red Raider. Unbelievable. Touchdown. Red Raiders. Oh, <laughs> oh, Touchdown, Red Raiders.
1: Michael Crabtree has done it. Right. Michael Crabtree
0: makes the catch at the five, breaks the tackle and scores. There's still one second on the clock, but Texas Tech—unbelievable, Michael Crabtree! Oh my god! Now, Brian, did you need any insulin or anything after that call?
2: Story for you on this, and I don't know. There are a few people that know this. I, I can't recall if I've ever said this on a podcast or on an interview. But so, my daughter graduated from the University of Texas. Oh man, I know. Now, my son graduated from Tech. He was my spotter for five years. But my (laughs) daughter, who I was divorced, my daughter was more of my uh, ex-wife's, you know, girl. Mm -hmm. And so she wasn't going to go where dad went. So she goes to Texas. Well, her freshman year, she wanted to come up to Lubbock and see the Texas Tech game. So she did. And Tech won that that year. And so um, the following spring, Tech played Texas in the uh, Big 12 basketball tournament in Dallas and I said, Hey, I got some tickets. You want to go? Sure. Well, tech won that game too. And so she swore she'd never take my tickets again. <laughs> well, fast forward 2008 and she's got her fiance with her and she calls me and she says, Hey, I'm coming to Lubbock, but I don't want your tickets." I said, okay, well you got tickets. And she goes, no, but I'll get them. I'll get them when I get there. And I go, really? Do you think so? We're playing the number one team in the country yeah. on uh the day after Halloween. And you think you're going to, and on night game and you mm-hmm. think you're going to get, t- okay, whatever. So she comes to town, and I held my tickets. I get uh, that's one of the one of the nice little perks I get is sure. uh, pair of tickets to the games. And so um, I held my tickets and waited for her to call, and she did eleven o'clock on Friday night. <laughs> and I answered the phone, and my answer was, uh, "Yep, I still have your tickets." And she goes, "I can't believe I'm going to take them, but I will." I said, "Okay." So you know what happens, You just played mm-hmm. it. I see her after the game at Terry Fuller's bus, and. We're uh, we're all partying, as you can imagine, and she walks up, and her her fiance, who's now her husband, I will say I've never seen him so dejected. And I told him afterwards, <laughs> I better never see you like th- I never better see you like this again. Uh, but he was he was so uh, so. I mean, they were both just like, oh my god, What happened? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they're like oh, th- th- this. I promise you, I'm never now. Well, since that time, they've still taken tickets for me, including down in Austin <laughs> the year that that Jakeem Grant had the little sneak around. And scored the touchdown that, that won it oh. down there on Thanksgiving. So anyway, that was my story on that game. But um, it was uh, to this day when her when she calls me, here's my phone, in case, in case it rings, okay. you'll hear it. Uh, but if she calls me, uh, my ringtone is that call, <laughs> and it's only it's, it's only for her. And I answer the phone every time <laughs> oh, I Oh, okay. I go. I go. Crabtree just scored again. <laughs> She's like, "Are you ever going to let that go?" I said, "Nope, <laughs> no. never." It's only been never. fourteen years. I mean, <laughs> never. and you have no, you have no idea how many people have asked me for that ringtone. Oh,
0: and I'm like, "Well, unfortunately, I can't, uh, I can't give it out." So we were at the game. We had season tickets that year. We were on the home side. I. I'm going to say about the 20-yard line, about, I don't know, 30 rows up. And I tried to get, after we won, I tried to get the we're number one chant going, but I couldn't get anybody to go along with me because we just beat number one and we were, what, eight at the time? Yeah, um, we were
2: two after that.
0: And then two Mm -hmm. after that. So my next question is, were they as despondent as we were in Oklahoma the next week? Because we got didn't okay. we get killed no, by it Oklahoma? Wasn't
2: that, we no, we beat we beat Oklahoma we the next week. Yeah. We blew
0: them out. Okay. So we, were, uh,
2: so we were number two in the country going to Oklahoma with a chance to win and go to the national championship. Right. And uh, which, you know, of course then was the mythical national championship. Yeah. Not that it not that it's unmythical now. But um so yeah, so who was who was who has desponded? Because w- if we would have won
0: the next game no, like the fans. We're, because where were we if we won the next game? Where were we going to go to the Sugar Bowl? We
2: well, were it, going to it, the it, mythical it was, national championship yeah. game. Okay. If yeah. Okay. We had won the next if we okay. beat Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Right.
0: The next. Yeah. The next week we blew out o, OSU and then we we played OU. I think. Oh. Okay. Right. That's what I, that's, that's what I'm correct. talking about. The OU In game. Norman. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. We just got annihilated. Annihilated. And yeah. then yeah. Then we yeah. So now was that. So of course you remember Cody Hodges. Now he's he's from Hertford. Oh yeah, and um, of course he was a whole lot of fun to watch. Pretty real nice kid. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, going back to when you were saying quarterbacks. Now you know the system's been around a long time. Those first few guys like Cumbie, Kingsbury, um, uh, B.J. Simmons, all those guys. They really, I mean, they were starting from the beginning and they were learning the system. Of course, I always thought B.J. Simmons, as far as power wise with the with the arm, was always. Was always a power thrower, but anyway, that it, looking back on it now, after you, the way you talk, it really makes me appreciate those early quarterbacks early on. So, well, I'll
2: say this, and I don't think I, I know I told him this, but I haven't said this, I don't think publicly either. I think B.J. Simmons, and I, a lot of people probably agree with this. B.J. Simmons was uh, unfortunately um, caught in a situation where. If he could have redshirted, if if he could have had a medical redshirt or something Mm -hmm. that would have given him another year, well, if he'd have been playing today, where they give you, you know, Mm -hmm. 16 years to play, (laughs) um, I mean, the guy would have been, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback Tex ever had. Okay. I mean, well, other than Mahomes. Mahomes, yeah. Didn't he? Didn't he he play part of that season with a torn ACO? Yes, he jumped up in the air, uh, uh, celebrating a, a touchdown. I want to say against maybe against NC State or somebody, but um, and and came down on it, and and you could see the second that he landed.
0: Yeah. You know, and that um, was early in the season.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and he played the rest of the season with it, and um, didn't seem to bother his arm.
0: <laughs> oh man. He didn't he
2: didn't land on his arm. So, but I'm telling you, if the guy had uh, when when he when he was a junior. And and Kingsbury was a senior. Um, in that spring, you might recall the 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 spring game. I mean, Simmons was just, but he was just. Everybody's like, "Wow, yeah, what 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 are they going to do? What what are they going to do when they get to the fall?" Well, you know, that was another thing about Mike Leach. He was going to he was going to start the guy that that, that was his guy. Prior to that, and King's very, very studious, and he was a leech guy, and that was just the way it was going to be. That's why I say it was just unfortunate that BJ didn't have one more year under his belt, because uh, you see what he did the year that he did get to play yeah. through all that stuff. Could you imagine if he could have been yeah. able to play two, two seasons, two foot Wow! So I remember King was saying once, "Just, just wait till next year." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he knew. He yeah. absolutely
0: knew. The talent that he had sitting there on the bench for some reason. I don't want to stay on the nostalgia of 20 years ago, but I always pictured him as as for a quarterback being kind of short. But this says he was six foot one. I oh, I don't remember him. I didn't think I he was short.
2: I I don't know tall. why. How, how Maybe tall was, how tall was you want to talk about nostalgia? How tall was Ron Reeves when he played? Oh, I don't know. We'll look it up. You got that computer right there. Go ahead and (laughs) spin right through it. Uh,
0: Okay. Let me look it up. I know you're online. We've got got fiber optics. Okay. This guy was. You can bust my chops when I'm wrong on something. (laughs) You're talking about an Australian rules footballer. You expect me to know who an Australian rules footballer is if we're talking about the same guy? This guy was. I don't know anything
2: about Australian rules football.
0: If you're talking about this is Ronald Ron Reeves born 1938? Uh, no, Ron Reeves, the quarterback okay. at Tech. Oh no, I that didn't pull them up. Let me let me try you again. You weren't a farmer back then. <laughs> I was on the tractor, apparently, man. Apparently not. Uh, so okay. I'm thinking he's right now. He's
2: probably he's a little bit taller than I am. I'm five okay. ten, although I'm shrinking a little bit too. So okay. he's probably
0: he right is now six he's probably two.
2: in the six. Okay, six two. Yeah. Okay. To me, B.J. and Ron Reeves had this had a very similar body. Ron played some linebacker too um, when he was in high school, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so he had that thick, you know, kind of that thick look when he was playing quarterback. And so when I saw B.J. Simmons the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a, you know, doppelganger here from years past. Okay. And but then when and Reeves had this ridiculous cannon as well, that he could throw through a frickin' wall, and when I saw BJ throw, and and it just, it brought so many memories back of Ron Reeves, and um, so it would have been really interesting to see the two of those guys in their prime standing next to each other, throwing the football, and the velocity of those guys to see if they could out-throw each other. That would have been a fun, fun thing that I don't even think... uh, Madden football or EA <laughs> sports could uh, probably replicate, but yeah. it'd be cool if they could.
0: Yeah, he that was. was, a, that was fun. Simmons year was a fun year. That game against a was awesome.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was wonderful.
0: So Ron Reeves played at Texas Tech from 78 to 81. So, yeah. so yeah, you were old, So you were in the student section then. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I
2: was there. Yeah. I was uh, I was trying to figure out what the heck I was doing there, and then uh, the next year I was a saddle tramp there. So I uh, I had the I had the great tickets and the great dates.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Two dates in that day. (laughs) uh, It was
0: awesome. So okay, but anyway, okay, Brian. Now let's get let's get into. um, I'm always really interested in how you guys prepare for games, as far as you and John. So give me a typical game day, game week situation for y'all. What what what's your preparations?
2: Okay. So game week. Um, and now John and I are a little
0: different because John, obviously
2: with color, he's, he's looking for a little different thing than I'm looking for. Um, in the play by play role, I'm really looking for, a, um, not only the, the patterns of, um, of play, but also the way an athlete looks. Um, so when I look at video, for example, I don't just look at the number and what the guy's name in and what his position is. How does he run? What does his hair look like? You know, what do his sleeves look like? Those kinds of things. Because then when I see him live, I immediately know who it is I'm talking okay. about. I don't have to look at my play-by-play sheet, my, my board, which that's the prop I got when you okay. were telling me we were about to do this. I bought, I got some props. And so these are, um, now those of you that are just listening to it, I'm showing on a Zoom call. That's what we're doing. Can I tell you the little background? Go for that? it. Absolutely. Okay. So he actually called me on a pot on a Zoom. So we're, we're actually seeing each other here. These are the boards from that 2008 game, oh, okay. which I, I have in my media room, and uh, they're not getting away from me. These are, these are pretty special. But So I put these boards together during the week, and what I'll do is, so I'll take all of the information. And this is the great thing about, what are we in, 2022? I think but so. This actually started back in, in about 20, I'm going to say about 2006 or so. We used to get media guides would show up. We would wait for the media guides, these huge books, to show up in the mail. Um, And once those showed up about mm, two weeks before the season, we could start getting our our prep ready by reading all this information about all these teams and these players and all this other stuff, right? Okay. Well, then in about 2006 or so, maybe it was a little earlier than that. I might be be a little off. But um, everything was online. So you could start – just checking in online. Well, then, um, at that time, we were still getting DVDs from Tech's athletic department showing us the games each week. And we'd be able to look at some of the stuff that you know we, we saw. Or we could look back at the year before and kind of get a sense of a Big 12 team, who's coming back, blah, blah, blah. Well, now, once the online started, we were able to go and find clips of games that were just played, for example, and mm-hmm. see some of the opponent we're about to see. Okay, so there's where you get some of the visuals going. and You can sit down. I'll sit down for, you know, a couple hours and look at some of that during the week. And then I'm getting all of the information from both schools, their uh, news releases, uh, their rosters, their depth charts. Although I will tell you, I learned very early on the hard way that uh, one of the other things Mike Leach brought to the table was he told his uh, sports information person at the time. He said, um, "Okay, I'm going to give you an opening day two deep. Never change it. So for 12 games, it was the exact two deep, whether those players were injured and gone or not. Same two deep. So that was no benefit to us after that whatsoever. And so other teams, I'm sure, did the same thing. So you'll get a 2 deep from a team, and you're like, okay, is this really who's going to play on Saturday or not? Well, you have to go ahead and make your board as if it is, but then you have to research through articles and, again, watching some of the games. Now you can watch full games, which is great. So did you see that somebody got injured, and they got injured in a pretty serious way, yet they're still showing up on the 2 deep. Now you're like, okay, well, that person's probably not going to play. I think I'll put them as a secondary player, put another player as a as a starter, but still keep him on my board just in case he, in case he shows up. Uh, so it's that kind of game you have to play during the week as a play-by-play guy. And then uh, we have the opportunity on, well, it depends on the coaching staff, Thursday or Friday to actually talk to the offensive and defensive coordinators. And that's when we actually uh, refine everything. So we look at our board and we go, okay, well, this is who we've got starting blah 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 is who you've got and sometimes they'll tell you and sometimes they'll play coy but if they tell you then you get your board set and you're ready to go then on Saturday when you show up at the game the um, play-by-play guy from the other uh team typically comes into our booth or we go into their booth and we match boards and we go okay is it who all's not going to be playing for your team your guys have obviously told you our guys have hopefully told us uh-huh. And so, you know, we'll share that information, but we usually do that right before we go on the air because again, you know, you don't want to give information to the play by play guy over there that says, Hey, this guy's not gonna play, and then he, you know, has a relationship with an assistant coach and he contacts him and he goes, This guy's not gonna play. Mm-hmm, sure. So there's a little bit of gamesmanship there that we have to be careful about too. Um, we is don't there do that with the officials. Is there a fair amount
0: of rivalry with your fellow play by play colleagues from other teams?
2: Oh, and I wouldn't say rivalry. There's more of a, uh, you know, it's it's a kinship really. Yeah. I mean, we all we're all in the same boat as to what we do and the and the challenges we face um every day. Um trying to get ready for this stuff and then traveling and the, and doing the things we have to do and realizing that we're you know, while we're part of the group, we're also not part of the group and we're all in the same boat in that regard.
0: Okay, so that where's your uh, other than the Jones? What's your favorite place to Broadcast from
2: on a regular basis or ever,
0: ever and regular basis.
2: Um, okay, so ever. Uh, the, the probably the best place that I enjoyed calling a game. I loved calling the game at the horseshoe, which is no longer a horseshoe.
0: Oh, Iowa State. State, yeah,
2: that was fantastic. Um, the game wasn't but the
0: but yeah <laughs> the, whole, the whole atmosphere and and you know all that all that was great was that a, um the game was the first game of the season you talking about yeah yeah maurice claret was the okay back. they won the national Four, game, so yeah.
2: they did and then he was like one one half a year to go and then he was gone Yep. so just um, that
0: just so many people there in the
2: energy yeah it was yeah, the energy, the atmosphere, the yeah. lead up to it, the tailgating. Um, before it was cool, they had a uh, like a warehouse district that was near the stadium that you could go and pregame meal and all all that kind of stuff. And everybody was there. And that was before all the other schools had figured it out. Um, Ohio State had figured it out. And didn't it we play really, like? Oh, oh ex- I'll tell you.
0: Huh? Didn't we play like an extra preseason game that year? Wasn't that like the only game going on that week?
2: Might have been. I don't remember that stuff. <laughs> okay. But you but hey, if you say so, I believe you. Uh, the other place that, that was really, really great, and it wasn't so much the broadcast facility or anything like that, but it was the lead up to the game was all miss. Okay. Uh, the Grove is the greatest I will say this I will say this now until until I'm proven wrong and I haven't been yet. The Grove is the greatest pregame atmosphere in college football. Um I would love to say that you know that text um that text pregame is there, yeah, it's not, but it but I know they're working to get there, and I hope they do but and I know they've been there and have and have um you know kind of checked it out because it is special, so they have people come uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, I'm sure you have, but they have people come about well overnight and they open up the gate and they rush out there and they post they put their tent down to where they're going to be and then they leave and then the next morning they all show up they start bringing all their under unbelievable the food is ridiculous the 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 women there dress in in like spaghetti what do they call spaghetti, spaghetti straps uh-huh. I, mean, I mean it's just and they're just I mean they're all decked out and sure. it's just and they're so friendly yeah so so when we went to Ole Miss we uh, we actually had a uh, a situation where our bus broke down and we were on our way to the game and here we are the broadcast team and we're, we're riding with the cheerleading group in the bus to the game. We're in the, we're in the middle of absolutely nowhereville, Mississippi have no idea where we were. Uh, the Hick, Hick city. And we're, (laughs) we're sitting on the side of the road and this guy pulls up in a truck and he goes, Hey man, what y'all going to the game? Well, we're trying. We go, and we said, Where the broadcast Go, oh man, you need help to get there? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, pile up in there. We'll we'll get you there. So he throws us in the back of his truck and he gets us and he drops us off at the grove. Well, this was probably the best place he could have ever dropped us off instead of going to the stadium, which is where we typically would go, because I would have never seen this. Mm-hmm. And so we walk through the grove, and as we're coming through the grove, every single uh, tent that we come up to, they're pulling us in. Hey. Try our chicken. Try our, you know, barbecue. It was just, it was, it was special. It was great.
0: So, I just, as you know, I've got the internet at my fingertips here. Described as the holy grail of tailgating sites by Sporting News. I agree. I agree. You know, another. I wasn't. We weren't there for a football game, but we were at LSU, and that reminds me of LSU so much. They are so friendly down there, and of course. It's just I don't know. It it always stuck. We went there for a fraternity thing back not in college. Friendly down there.
2: What are you talking
0: about? <laughs> they were they were in Baton Rouge that know, week.
2: It, hey, is a comedy. When, hey, this is a comedy podcast. When you, said when you level, look like your, me, on your, on
0: your, yeah. you get friendly people. So you know.
2: Okay. Well, if you were wearing the opposing <laughs> jersey or shirt, they were not friendly. So they're known for rocking the the buses when they come in. Okay. Um, into the gate, they'll rock the um, opponent's bus. So, uh, I went there one time and, uh, for, uh, I think it was a Lamar game. Uh, well, Lamar played, they got annihilated there. And, um, it was just, it was ridiculous. And, and the one thing I'm always told is if you're a visiting fan, do not go to a night game there. Wow. Period. Do not go. But you know, they say the same thing about tech. Yeah.
0: Uh, certainly A&M fans would. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So that. Perfect segue to my next question here. Your opinion, I mean, the tech fan base, it's almost like any time we do something off color or unconventional, we're the only people in the entire NCAA that do it. And we're the, like the classless clowns. It's And obviously we're not because I've been to other places where they do it. Now, I was there for the A&M games where the first time we sent out the uh, goalpost out the stadium and down Broadway, and then two years later, when they were back against us at home, we sent the goalpost up the opposing side, and I was just sitting there going, "What the hell are they doing?" <laughs> now that yeah. yeah,
2: I I actually did that game on television with uh, Shea Walker,
0: okay, former A
2: uh, and M receiver, um, and we had just—it's it, kind of funny—we won that game. It was a very low-scoring right. game, mm-hmm. and I had just closed the. Closed the telecast, and I just said, "Well, the the great thing about this this rivalry is that it uh, is it, it was great on the field, and it obviously uh, did not carry outside of the field like we had before, <laughs> because at that time it hadn't." <laughs> yeah, and then we we closed the, the telecast, and then all that all mm-hmm. that happened,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they're they're still rolling uh, back to Dallas. Uh, this was, I think, a Fox uh, Fox Sports back in the day. Okay, um, broadcast. And they 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 immediately contact us and they go, oh, we got to do an update, we got to do an update, <laughs> we gotta we gotta tell them what's happening. I go, oh. Bro.
0: So your okay. your your lockout <laughs> aged well for about five minutes. Exactly. And so we so
2: we had to come back on the air and explain what was happening. But no, it's uh, so our our atmosphere is um, so I want to answer what you just said because I hope tech I hope tech fans that are listening um, appreciate what I'm going to say and don't get don't get too irritated about what I'm gonna say so um, we we are one of the thin most thin skinned uh, <laughs> fan bases that I that I know okay the reality the reality is now because I think because we are relatively isolated from a lot of other areas in Lubbock mm-hmm. okay sure so when we see and hear things that are said about Lubbock or about tech we get offended by them when in reality, those types of things are said all over the country. You just don't see it because you're not really paying attention to that. You're paying attention to your favorite mm-hmm. home base. And I get that. So having said that, I'm going to tell you that like there are people around the country that absolutely respect the fact that tech is a difficult setting, an unusual setting for an opponent. And people from the players can can I say the B word on your go broadcast? for it? It's uh, OK. They can bitch and moan all they want. All right. But the reality is it's no different than other fans oh, yeah. screaming the same things at them. You only did. Well, there is one difference. Tortillas fly. Yeah. OK. <laughs> and that's great. I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's not batteries. <laughs> when we were in Colorado, it, I'm serious. Yeah. Oh, we were yeah. at the University of Colorado. It was batteries. That were being thrown at our players. Okay. So don't tell me that other places mm. don't do absolutely when I was at the the Rangers Yankees playoff game back in the day when I was doing television in Channel Eight in New York and they had the media sitting out in right field. And that's when batteries were being thrown at Juan Gonzalez in right field. Wow. And I, I thought then, I thought this is the most this is the most ridiculous uh um, display random yeah. that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So you know, don't don't tell me it doesn't happen. Those kinds mm-hmm. of things don't happen everywhere. They yeah. do.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, and you know, going back to what you say, Lubbock isolated. I can think of several college towns that are isolated. Because is Boise? They've got to be somewhat isolated. <laughs> I mean, Idaho. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yep. I mean, you know, we're we we like to think we're unique and everybody's unique in their own way, but you know,
2: well, you know, we were unique when we had
0: our stands empty. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but tech, we've always had, and you can disagree if if you do, I, I'd say we've always had a chip on our shoulder, you know, because there was, there was the UT, A&M, their rivalry. And, you know, tech, we were just kind of the second cousin, Fifteen times removed or whatever, and we always said, you know, well, we're a rival too, and it was always the Tech A and the A deal, and pretty soon it just became like A and is not your rival anymore; they're just an annual ass whipping, you know. OU is their rival for the last several years, and of course now, you know, that's all falling apart because everybody's leaving. But you know, we've always kind of had think, that.
2: Sh- I think. Well, I think the the reason, but but under and I, and I know you get this, but the chip on the shoulder comes from the fact that you're not the number one size school in Texas.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure.
2: You're not the number two size school in Texas. Yeah. You're not the number one funded school in Texas by the state. You're not the number two funded school by the state. So therefore you don't have the kinds of uh, resources You didn't have the kinds of facilities you do now. Your facilities, tech facilities, are, are on par with anybody in the country sure. in most areas, and they're getting even better. And once the stadium gets to the, 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 the new um, renovations that are, that are on the horizon, I think it gets even better. So you start to compete at that level, but the reality is still you're not the number one, you're not the number two in size. You're not the number 1, you're not the number 2 in the Texas funding in that War Chest funding. So, unfortunately, what number does that put you at? Yeah. 3. Yeah. Okay, you can't change that. Yeah. That that's the one thing unfortunately, and I went to Tech and I get this. Um, and I went to Tech for the for the the reason because I didn't want to go to where everybody else in the freaking state was going when I was coming out of high school. And I also went to a high school that they were the Longhorns and I was tired of burnt orange. And so I went, I I love tech and I went to tech, but I never felt like I was a lesser person or I was lesser you know, even though, you know, Texas fans and, and A&M fans that I know and friends that I know, they give me grief all the time. Well, I give them grief too. Sure. Because, there are a lot of areas I can give them just as much grief as they can give me. I just am very careful not to step on the areas where I know I can't compete. We're not number one in size. We're not number two in size. We're not number one in funding. We're not number two in funding. But guess what? We got a heck of a lot of other things that we are number one at. And to me, that's what you focus on. You don't focus on the, you know, the stuff that that keeps getting your chip. Sure, a little bit bigger on that shoulder.
0: Well, I mean, I think having a chip on your shoulder is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it keeps you, I mean, it keeps your ass, you know, on fire and wanting to do more. I mean, you know,
2: if you if you if you use it, if you
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. if you use it in the right, yeah, if you use the dark, if you use the force for good and not the dark side. (laughs) But you know, like you were saying, UT. If I was a UT fan, just on a football standpoint, they've got all this money, all these recruits. I mean, they should be. Alabama, Notre, I mean, not Notre Dame, but Ohio State, they should be in the running top five every year. And where are they? They're not. But you know
2: what? What, But you know what? Why are we worried about that?
0: Yeah. Oh, no. I'm not worried about it. I'm just saying if I was them, yeah. Well, are you? Well, I'm not them. (laughs) It's not going to matter anyway because they're all going to the SEC, which brings me into my next question. (laughs) Unless you want to stay here, we can. (laughs) What a... how about this new conference we're going to be entering in in next year or a couple of years?
2: Are we? What conference are we entering?
0: Well, the new additions to it, the Big Twelve. Mean, yeah, new-
2: so, the, and and again, I think this is. Uh, I, I'm,
0: or am I premature on it?
2: Well, you're. I don't know. I, and I think that's the thing. Who knows? Okay. Who knows what's going to? Who knows what the scenario and the and and the the. The, the scene in college football is going to look like in another 6 months. I mean, mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, you know, I've had conversations with people that kind of know what's going on and I'm not sure they know because a lot of this came, well, some of this came out of the blue. Some of this really hit people. The USC UCLA thing really hit people um unexpected. The 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 Texas OU thing I think was Pretty unexpected. Although I think if you look back at some of the things that went on, you might have been able to put a little bit of a uh, belief that that was going that that kind of thing might have been coming. Um, but not the USC UCLA thing. I think really surprised people. And so now there's so much scrambling going on. But the but the smart people are trying to go well just just chill for a second and don't just don't do don't do something that's gonna you know be uh, be irreversible and puts you in a situation that doesn't allow you to get where you need to go. And I think that's the important thing. And, hey, i got to tell you, I have 110% if that's – I don't I don't that's a cliche that I've never believed in, but uh, I have 110% trust in Kirby Hoka. I think the guy is um, on top of things. I think he's sharp. I think he's always been, been uh, great in the decisions that he's made for Tech. And I think in this regard, he's he and, and President, uh, president uh, the president, I think all these guys are, are really on top of it. They've got a great committee that's working with them. And I think that they're um, making sure that tech is represented in every one of these conversations. And I think that's what has to happen is that you make sure that you're in every conversation. You're going to hear people say, well, the presidents don't believe tech should be in this because of this. You know, that's that PAC 12. BS that goes on. Well, that's all great, wonderful. But the reality is when it comes to college sports and the money we're talking about, most of the time that wins over what the universities really think they want, ultimately. Okay. So I think the money in college sports is driving everything now. Sure. and And money in the NIL, all that stuff is is driving everything. And so because of that, the smart people are going, hey, well let's not rule this out. Just because that's been the rule before, doesn't mean that's the rule going forward. So let's not assume it is. So let's talk to the big to the Pac-12. Let's not make an agreement with them right away. Let's do some things that, you know, are in our best interests and then figure out where do we fit best, because ultimately if this ends up in a too huge conference NFL-type situation, we have the East and the West, which is kind of where it looks like it's going, you want to be sure you're in that West because if you're not, then you're going to be one of those um, XFL teams.
0: Okay, guys, that's going to be the end of part one with our interview with Brian Jensen. We're going to release this, um, and then we'll have a part two uh, the following week to uh, keep everybody's attention Right where we need to be And that's on the Dry Line Farmer podcast So guys until next time Which will be part 2 of the Brian Jensen Experience Check us out all over Twitter All over Facebook And be sure to check out Brian Jensen As he covers this year's New season of the Red Raider football
1: The Dry Line Farmer podcast A member of the Global Ag Network
0: There's podcasts, and then there's this, the Dryline Farmer Podcast.